Welcome to iCommunicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRM. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to iCommunicate, everyone. I'm Mark Altman, and uh, glad to be back here with you talking about all things communication. And I've been reflecting over the last few weeks about why communication breaks down. And we don't have a long enough show for that because that would be about a full day show at, at minimum. And you know, it's funny. I, I I know the core reasons and I'm going to share them with you on the show today. But, you know, as I often do, I always, I look at Google. I'm, I'm just curious what Google feels of why communication breaks down. And, you know, Google gave three primary reasons. One of the sources I looked at in Google gave three primary reasons. And one is missing frameworks and frameworks in terms of people's culture uh, background, um, life experience, templates, and things like that, and how we're impacted and affected by others. It's a very involved, heavy one. The other one they give is lack of empathy. And, you know, I'm, I'm finding more and more when I teach leaders and individuals emotional intelligence that part of the trouble with being empathetic is that people don't feel that there's anyone being empathetic to them. So if you don't feel anybody empathizes with you and understands your plight and your challenges, then you're less likely to be empathetic or less motivated to be empathetic to others. And then the third one is lack of self-awareness. And that's that's really what the show is about today is this lack of self-awareness when it comes to communication. And and I want to start with setting and managing expectations. And so, as I said, I've been reflecting the last couple of weeks, and I was thinking to myself, what would it be like if I sat down and made a list of all the expectations I had of people with the catch that there was one criteria that needed to be satisfied when I made the list is, what are the expectations I have of people that they don't know I have, right? So, so I'm going to give you some examples from my list that I came up with. Um, I expect when I'm at an intersection and I let a car go in front of me so they can go about their business, that I expect them to acknowledge me with a thank you and a wave. Um, I like when I open the door for someone to go into a store or a restaurant or something, I, I, like, I like an acknowledgement or a wave. I expect that when I make a reservation at a restaurant that they can seat me if not right at the time I made the reservation, but no worse than maybe five five to ten minutes after at the worst. And so you get where I'm going. There's all these things we expect of people. And I got to tell you, growing up, I remember one of the biggest things, and it was more my mother than my father, she was so big on sending thank you notes. You know, you get a gift, you get a present, written thank you note. Now these days... Thank you notes are unheard of. Jazz, can you remember the last time you sent someone an actual written thank you note? My wedding. That yep. was the only time right. in my life that I sent any thank you cards that, and that were actually real thank you cards, not just like a text message or a phone call. And you know what's interesting about that, Jazz? It's, and, I, and I hadn't even thought of this before the show until you just said it. Typically, thank you notes, if they're going to be sent, it's usually for a big occasion, Right a wedding, a bar mitzvah, an anniversary party, or some major event, right? 
And so why would people be more inclined to send a thank you note for those events? Because usually the gifts are bigger and more meaningful, right? Exactly. Right? It's one of those you feel more obligated to do it because, oh, well, I received all of these gifts from so many people and they're so extravagant. <laughs> That's right. And so our first area of expectation is when you are doing something, Jasmine's key word there was obligated to do it. So think about how many times you feel like you want to do, no, not one, excuse me, how many times you feel the need to do something because you think you're meeting someone else's expectation. You know, I see it a lot in written communication. So in the workplace, a lot of times people will make requests sometimes unreasonable requests. So if I send an email to a peer, if I'm a leader in the workplace and I send an email to a peer and says, hey, would you mind getting that report to me by the end of the day? Now think about that. You read an email that says, would you mind getting that report to me by the end of the day? Most people, when they get an email like that with a clear deadline that's been established, feel obligated to meet that deadline and meet that expectation. However, that expectation was a request. It wasn't an expectation, but many people read requests as expectations. So for example, if I got an email from a peer that says, would you mind getting this to me by the end of the day? I would respond, depending on my workload and how stressed I was, I would say, I could, but would it be okay if I get it back to you by the end of the day tomorrow? I'm buried in a lot of projects right now. And then you allow the other person to come back to you and say, you know what? No problem at all. As long as you get it to me by the end of the week, that's fine. Or the person says, you know what? I'm so sorry. I wasn't prepared. I really do need it by the end of the day. But see, one of the challenges in communication is when you perceive a request as an expectation. And a request is just that, a request. Unless someone emails you and says, I expect you to get the report back to me by the end of the, way, the day, then it's a request. And so the self-awareness piece, I'm talking to more and more people about the concept of detail-oriented communication. What does that mean? I, I, had, I had a guy in a training the other day he was so brilliant. His answer was so brilliant. He said, Mark, what that means to me is you, you think before you speak. You think before you write. You take the time to decide what you really want to say and write. And I'm like, yes, that's it. You know, if you're a detail-oriented person with your tasks or progress or projects, excuse me, what does that mean? It means you take the time to make sure your tasks and projects are done right. Right? Just like if you're a detail-oriented communicator, you're taking the time to make sure your, your, your thoughts, your words come out the way you want them to come out, whether verbally in writing. It's a matter of putting all the little pieces together to make the bigger picture, right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it, Jazz. It, and you know the problem, Jazz, is even though it's a good way to put it, people think of detail-oriented communication often as work as walking on eggshells, as, oh, well, God, I got to be extra sensitive to how I communicate with this person because is it, is it, is that what it is? I don't feel like that's what it is. For me, it's more, you know, 
looking at the person that I'm communicating with, looking at myself, how the two of us interact, how the person's going to receive what I'm saying, you know, what's the best way to go about talking to them about whatever it is, and then kind of build my puzzle pieces together until I form a picture of, okay, this is what I should say based on how they're going to react, how I'm going to react. Yeah, I mean, it, it is that, Jazz. And I think that what we're talking about here is we're back to that word expectations again, because if you feel like you have to be extra sensitive to somebody else, you have to walk on eggshells, are they worth it? You know, part of the challenge I see a lot in corporate America and a lot of the organizations I work with is when someone doesn't meet an expectation, I'll often hear a leader say, I told them what I wanted, but they didn't listen. So the first thing that comes to my head when someone says, I told them what I wanted, they didn't listen. And you've heard me say it on the show often, listeners, is it takes two to tango. So perhaps you told them what you wanted, but you weren't completely clear on what you wanted, when you wanted it, how you wanted it. And so right out of the gate, the expectation gets lost because it's unclear. And I'll tell you what happens, going back to the point Jasmine was just making is, What happens is that when you're deciding the effort and meaningfulness of a relationship, the effort you want to put into a relationship, what happens is when you get frustrated with someone and they're not meeting your expectations, you decide you don't want to put as much effort in because you've convinced yourself they don't meet your expectations. So when I come back from the first break, we're going to talk about that self-awareness piece around what it means to set clear expectations, and we're going to talk about the messaging that goes between both parties in a clear interaction. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about the challenges that relate to setting and managing expectations. And, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show what Google says about why communication breaks down, one of the sources on Google anyway. And let me tell you, as, a, as someone who does this for a living, and who's truly passionate about it, in my experience, there are three basic reasons why communication breaks down, okay? One of them is that people have not articulated their expectations. And I've said this on the show before, and I'll say it again. There's two rules for setting expectations. It's very simple. You should have no problem if someone has an expectation of you, if the person has made clear what their expectation is, And if you have agreed to it, those are the only rules that go with expectations. You have to know. That's why I gave the example before when I talked about letting a car go, you know, in front of me on the road or being seated at the time of my reservation at my reservation in a restaurant. That's my point. Those people don't know that's my expectation. You know, they don't know. They don't know I want a thank you note if I give them a gift, you know. 
They don't know if I let them walk in front of me in the door that I want to be appreciated. And by the way, this is where a lot of expectations come from is the word gratitude, right? A lot of expectations filter around gratitude. So the first one is, why does communication break down? Because expectations are unclear. Two, core values. Your core values are different than my core values, okay? The way I communicate with you, the way I resolve conflict the way I respond to you when I'm frustrated and disappointed, Uh, the way I value respect and integrity in those words. You know, respect, when it comes to core values, if you want to be respected a certain way, it could be different than ways that I'm used to showing respect or have been taught to show respect, hence the frameworks that I was talking about before. So that's a huge area where communication can break down because if you if your core values are around honesty and trust and integrity and respect, and let's talk about trust, that's a huge one, right? So if there's certain things I expect you to do to earn my trust, your rules may be different than mine. So core values are the second. And the third one is ambiguity. You know, what isn't being said? And we've, there's an expression we often use, perception is reality, and that relates to self-awareness, what I've spoken about before. But when it comes to ambiguity, that's just it. When you look at the word confidence, confidence is typically made up of three factors, how you see yourself, how others see you, and how you think others see you. That's what I mean by ambiguity. How do you think others see you? And that can totally affect how you communicate with people, your confidence level, your trust level, based on how you think people see you. And it's, it's a simple solution. I mean, I'm going to make it simple. It really isn't simple. But the simple solution is, is to get clarity. You know, one of the things I talk about with body language and training is if someone is responding to you a certain way when you're having a conversation with them and you're not really clear about what that body language indicates, it's not obvious, ask. You know, if you're in the middle of selling something to someone and you see them scratch their head, they're confused. Don't just keep going on your presentation. Ask. I feel like so many people miss that. And another thing is I feel like people have expectations that they don't even realize they have. So then you end up in this loop of, you know, how am I going to deal with this person? Because obviously they have something to say, but they can't say it or they aren't saying it. Well, because you know what it is, Jasmine? They're nervous because, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a brief anecdote. This is the example I give in training and it usually gets a chuckle out of people because it makes a lot of sense, but it's the best example I can give. And that is, imagine if I'm sitting with Jasmine and I'm telling her something I'm so proud about. I'm so excited. Oh, Jasmine, I did this training yesterday. I got to tell you what happened. It was so great. The person did this, that, and the other thing. And Jasmine can see the passion and enthusiasm and excitement. And all of a sudden, one minute in the story, Jasmine lets out a big yawn. Think about that, everybody. Could be your husband, your, your wife, your sister, your brother, your uncle, your mother, the father close friend, doesn't matter. You're excited to tell a story. It means something to you. And the person gives out a big yawn. So what do we conclude in our, in our world when someone yawns and you perceive it's at you, the perception is what, Jess? That you're boring. You're boring. (laughs) So here's, here's the challenge. If I'm talking to Jasmine 
and she yawns, there's so many things that could happen. I could say, oh my God, this story isn't good. I better talk about something else. I could start changing details in the story to make it more interesting. Um, My confidence could be affected because if my self-template is I'm not a very interesting person or good storyteller, hello, imposter syndrome, right? So there's all kinds of things that could happen in a case like that. Or, and people are like, Mark, you wouldn't do this. I go, yes, I would. I would look at Jazz and I go, oh my God, I totally get it. I slept awful last night. I'm really tired also. And you know why I do that? To lighten it up. I don't want to make an awkward situation. And then Jasmine has two choices. If she is genuinely tired, she's going to be like, oh my God, sorry I yawned. Yeah, I slept awful. Or she's going to look at me and go, I'm not tired at all. And if she says that, then maybe I am boring. Right. Right? So, But I got clarity. And so that's the whole point. You, If you want clarity, that removes ambiguity in communication. So if you think there's someone at work that finds you to be unresponsive or not trustworthy or unreliable, you can walk around and go, yeah, that person probably thinks that. But why not have a conversation with them? Especially if you don't agree with it. Like if you think you are unreliable, then knock yourself out, let it be. But if you don't agree with the perception, why not get clarity? Why not remove the ambiguity? Because that improves conversations and communication. That would also cause introspection though. And not many people are ready for that kind of introspection. Well, that's just it. It not only is causes introspection, but there's a reason why I... T- I call things, or many people call things, courageous conversations because it causes introspection, but it, people are scared about what they're going to hear. They don't, they don't want to face the truth and to admit it is so hard for people to admit they might not be good at something because there's an identity associated with that. You know, I, I talk to, I've, I've said this on the show, I'm proud of it. Um, I see a therapist I mean, I spend virtually all day, every day, coaching and developing human beings. So believe me, I need some development myself. So Everybody should have a therapist. Right? I don't care who you are. It's good to have someone on the outside that you can talk to. Yeah, and so I, and, and this really makes the point. I said to my therapist how much I value winning. Like, I like to win. I really want to win. I'm very competitive. And... Not win at someone else's expense. I don't mean that. But I want to win. And I don't care whether it's a a board game, it's pickup basketball, it's business. I want to win. And I don't apologize for it. I think being competitive is a good quality if it's healthy. However, at the end of the day, my therapist says to me, "Well, well, you've attached something to winning. So in other words, if you don't win in something... That means you're not good enough or you, you, you use it as self-criticism. So if I'm playing cornhole and I lose in cornhole, like I'm frustrated about that and I start to think, man, I am. And this is what I do, Jazz. You ready for this? I, I'm, not, I've, I'm always honest on this show. This is what I do. If I lose at cornhole, this is what the thought process that goes to my mind. So listeners, tell me if this sounds familiar to anybody. Man, I'm getting old. Like, I just don't think I'm good at these things anymore. Oh, of course. And, of and, course. and I go through this whole talk track in my mind where I question my 
competency, my strength, my abilities, this whole thing, and as simple as freaking cornhole. So this is what I mean about clarity around communication. You know, you have to, you don't have to. If you want to improve your communication skills, regardless of what your relationship is, you need to remove the ambiguity. You need to be clear on what your core values are and how they're different. And you need to be clear on and do some introspection to really understand what your expectations are. Now, when we come back for our next break, what we're going to talk about is instead of saying, I tell them what I want, but they don't listen, I want you to do something different. I want you to recognize that you're disappointed. I want you to recognize you're let down. I want you to recognize you don't feel heard. You feel ignored. You feel disrespected. And so that's step one, is to recognize that people haven't met your expectations. And when we come back from our next break, I'm going to talk about, instead of saying, I told them what I want, but they didn't listen, I'll tell you two very simple steps to take instead that will powerfully improve your communication. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate, and uh, we're talking about setting and managing clear expectations. And as I promised when we got back from the break, you know, we talked about that, that mindset of I tell them what I want and they don't listen. And before I tell you what I promised, which is the two uh, powerful communication methods Um, to strengthen these kinds of conversations, I want to take a step back. And I want to talk about very quickly, if you work at a company and you're a director of HR or you're on the C-suite and you're making decisions around how the company can improve, can you imagine if I called up a company and I said, hey, what about spending some money on doing a better job setting and managing expectations within the company. I I don't think there's too many companies that would say, gee, Mark, you know, I think that would be helpful, um, but we should put that over sales training, leadership training, wellness, uh, you know, lean skills training. There's so many kinds of training and development companies need. They're going to be like, "Ah, setting and managing expectations? Yeah, I agree it's important, but I'm not going to put it really high on the list. Well, so here's the problem. How, how are you doing, company, around conflict management and resolution? How are you doing with ineffective leadership in what is now a festering problem called resignation mindset? Have people at your company lost confidence in the ability of leaders to effectively communicate, motivate, and inspire? Have leaders lost confidence in their own ability to do those same things. 
Well, setting and managing expectations is the lifeblood of good communication. So if you have a productivity problem, if you have an employee engagement problem or a leadership problem or a conflict problem, then maybe you should put setting expectations to the top of the line. Now, the default reaction of, I told them what I want, but they don't listen. Here's what you do instead. It's two simple steps. If your reflex is to say that, be emotionally intelligent, be self-aware, catch yourself saying that, and instead say, wait a minute, maybe I need to reflect on what I actually told them. Were there holes in the communication? Did I forget to give a due date? Did I forget to tell them how I wanted the final deliverable to come to me? Did I forget to tell them the due diligence steps I wanted to take, wanted them to take when they were doing the critical thinking for this process? So self-reflect, hey, what was my part in it? What could I have controlled? You can't control the people, but you can control what you could have done differently, right? And then here's the big one. Once you have done that introspection and self become self-aware on what you could have done differently, then instead of a default reaction being, you know, hey, I told you what I wanted, but you didn't do it, or I'm noticing you slipping, you really need to step up your performance. How about, you know, I wanted to ask you where I might have not communicated effectively on this project because I want to see if there's something I could have done differently. You know, we talk about vulnerability as a leader. So when you look at yourself in the mirror first and you present that to people you lead, that's sending a powerful message of removing the hierarchy and accepting that you're just like them because you are just like them regardless of your title and position of authority. Well, and I find a huge part of that is the emotional side of things where sometimes the managers don't, you know, cut off their emotions to the point where they're not effectively telling you what they want out of you or they're not giving you clear expectations because their emotions are involved, never mind your own. Well, that's true. That's true, Jasmine. And that that goes to a lot of times when I talk to organizations about bi-directional communication which is managing up, sideways, down with clients, vendors, prospects, it all starts with managing yourself. So you can't manage others effectively until you manage yourself. And that's why, you know, knowing what you can control and doing something about what you can control and reflecting on, hey, what did I do in this interaction? Where did I fall short in this interaction? You know, was there any ambiguity where I wasn't really clear about what I wanted? That's, that's great leadership. You know, that's being accountable. That's accountable leadership. You know, people throw around that word accountability so carelessly. But if you want to create a culture of accountability, you need to manage yourself and be accountable. Now, I want to give you a very powerful example. This is a real example that happened this week with someone I coached. This is a person that works for a company, and this is how the conversation started. She said, I asked the person, I said, hey, how are you doing this week? How's everything going? Not good. I said, what's wrong? She said, well, the company I work for has no culture of accountability and doesn't value their patience. So I said, wow. I said, that's really bad. I said, so could you elaborate more on that? And so she did. 
And she, of course, she told me her frustrations. I said, I'm just curious, have you communicated any solutions to what could be done differently that you could have direct impact or control of that could lead to a culture of accountability? I said, let's do that first. Okay. And so she said, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, if someone isn't performing at their job, they should be disciplined accordingly. I said, you work for one department in this organization. How do you know who's being disciplined accordingly and who isn't? And she said, well, that's true. I said, the only people you see are the people you directly are in contact with, right? She said, yes. So I said, I'm not saying there is accountability in the other departments, but I'm saying you're starting out with an enormous expectation that every single person in the company who does something wrong should be dealt with accordingly when you don't really even have a way to measure that. You're not even involved with that. So she said, that's true. She said, well, let me be more clear. When people aren't following established protocols, procedures, and policies, that's unprofessional. That should be addressed. So I said, okay, so let's hone in on what your specific expectation is. Specifically, if people don't meet a protocol, procedure, and policy, that should be addressed. She says, yes, that's exactly what it is. I said, no, it isn't. I said, because now I want to know how you want it addressed. Do you just want them to be talked to? Do you want them to be fired? She said, I want them to have to go through the HR policies and protocols we've set through the company. So whether that's a verbal warning, whether that's a write-up, if people act unprofessional and don't follow the rules of the company, I want them to be taken through the steps of the HR process. I said, I get that. Well, and sometimes you get into favoritism a little bit with that because some people will be brought through the policies and some people won't because, oh, well, the boss likes them. Well, I'll tell you what, Jasmine, I'll tell you what I see a much bigger pro- pro- a problem related than even the favoritism. And the favoritism is there. I agree. But here's what the problem is. In the healthcare industry, it is virtually impossible to find help right now. I mean, in a lot of industries, oh, in a lot of industries. Absolutely. Okay. So now you are a, a leader at a company. You have someone in your department who isn't following policies, protocols, and procedures. But I'll tell you, they're a damn good employee. They do their job. You're not going to fire them. And because your demands on them have gotten higher, you're asking them to more, work more hours. We're in a pandemic. The stress and the workload and the burden has been higher than ever. So if you are one of those leaders and you have one or two people in your department not following policies and protocols, you're going to write them up. You know, they're going to tell you to take a flying leap. You don't want to risk losing that person. And by the way, this is not me agreeing or disagreeing with the concept. It's just the mindset. I'm talking about the mindset of a leader. So this person wants a culture of accountability. And I'm saying that if you have people in companies that are not creating that culture of accountability, it's not necessarily because they don't want to. It's not necessarily because they don't value it. It's because they've convinced themselves they have no power. They've convinced themselves that you either are empathetic or hold people accountable. You can't do both. It's one or the other. And I've got news for everybody. You can do both. What you have to do to do both is do both. Be empathetic authentically and genuinely with what someone's going through 
and hold them accountable at the same time. So if someone isn't following policies and procedures, it goes something like this. And we're on a radio show, so I'm doing this in a very fast way because we can't do this for two hours. But it goes something like this. Hey, you know, I've been noticing, you know, you haven't been following such and such policy, procedure, whatever. Is everything going okay? Because I know it's a tough time for everybody. Have a conversation to understand what they're going through and what their challenges are. Well, and especially with the healthcare field right now. I mean, I even had to step back from it after doing it for 16 years because everything has changed so dramatically and you have to be so concerned about all the different regulations and everything that if you're not on point with it, you should not be there. Well, that's right. So, so you have a conversation, but the conversation, and I'm going to get into the details of what this conversation looks like after the break, but the conversation is genuine, effortless empathy. And when we come back for our final segment, I'll explain what that is. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate for our final segment. And we're talking about how to have a conversation with accountability and empathy at the same time. And, you know, I, I just, before I give that answer away, I just want, I, I want our listeners to think about something for a second. We led the show off today by talking about reflecting on unrealized expectations you have of others. So let's think about this. How many people out there have said something along the lines of, I wish my spouse would help out around more around the house. I wish my spouse would cook more. Okay, well, I've got news for everybody. You need to define what that actually means. Because it's... Well, and have the conversation with them. Right, well, <laughs> the, 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 the key here is when you are resigned to disappointment you are defaulting to an assumption. So whatever amount of time you want your, your spouse to help out around the house, are they clear what that specific expectation actually means? How about a friendship where you say, how come I'm always the one that reaches out? So what's your expectation of a friend? Is it that it should be reciprocal, 50-50, they should do it 20% of the time? And then how about this one? My son or daughter doesn't study enough. They don't seem to care about anything aside from screens. Well, what does that mean? How much do you want them to study? How much non-screen time do you want them to have? What do you want them to do when they're not on screens? These are all very unclear expectations, and these are the things that create conflict. When you're disappointed because you have a vision of what you want someone else to do, and they are not clear about that vision. If you take anything away from this show today, take what I just said away. People have to be clear about what you want and need, or you can't be upset. You can't. Fight me on it. I dare you. No, in personal relationships and in work relationships, it is so very important to be upfront about what you expect, what you need out of it, and how to get there, you know? Yeah, and, and, and like Jasmine said earlier in the show, the problem is people aren't even clear about what they want and need. Like, they think they know. 
like like the example no, I just gave. <laughs> yeah, you know they think they know, and they can't. They're not even sure how to get there. Um, you know, and 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 that's why I made the point before and after the break when someone says I want people to be, I want it to be an accountable culture. That's a big ask. That's not clear. It's how to get there. What are the specific actions? you're willing to take and what are the specific actions you want other people to take that will satisfy you and by the way i'm not saying lower your standards anybody this is not about lowering standards it's about being clear about your standards well and realizing exactly what standards you have right yeah and so i want you to think about how do you have a conversation to hold people accountable and have empathy at the same time So effortless empathy is a default reaction to be empathetic. So when you are disappointed, frustrated, or let down, and you're not feeling like you want to give people latitude or tolerance or patience, if your default is to be empathetic, that is the core competency of effortless empathy. So what we're talking about is someone doesn't do what you want or need, you better start out by looking in the mirror and see what maybe your part in your part was in it, what you could have controlled, and then say, hey, you know, I've been reflecting on such and such, um, w- wanting to know what I could have done better. What are you going through? What are the challenges you're facing right now? And having an authentic conversation where you're empathetic to someone is not a timed conversation. I'm not saying let other people go off on the rails and not have boundaries about what they share and don't share. What I'm saying is if you allot 10 minutes for this conversation, you're not allowing room for effortless empathy. So be empathetic, understand the challenges people are going through, and instead of being lazy and saying, hey, well, I'm here for you, instead of being lazy, what can I do to help? Ask them what they need. Don't make it about you, make it about them. And then once you're done being effortlessly empathetic, understanding their challenges, where they're lacking in skills, in confidence, in bandwidth, in knowledge, in life experience, once you understand all that, then you can have a conversation and segues from, okay, now I understand the challenges of what you're going through and what you need for help. We've got to figure this out because I need you to do this consistently. I need you to turn in reports by the end of the day Friday. It's not an option. It has to happen. So now that we know your challenges, now let's develop a collaborative plan to work on it so you are held accountable. That's simultaneous use of an accountable culture using empathy as a tool of influence effortlessly. It also takes into account that person's worldview, you know, what they might be going through, where they come from as a human, what they have going on in terms of their religion or whatever else, gives them time to really open up to you and let you know that, okay, I am struggling right now, or I'm having a problem with this, or I don't know how to do that. Well, that's true. And, and you know, look, a specific example really is... And I'm going to tell you, this to me sums up everything of how simple clarity can provide, how much, how much benefit clarity can provide in simple, simple steps you can take to strengthen relationships and communication. And I can't think of a better example than to sum this up with this. The example I gave earlier, where it was a true example, 
someone I'm working with said that their boss comes up to them, who is the owner of the company in this case, comes up to them and says, I noticed you're slipping. You need to do better. One sentence. Can you imagine how much damage that one sentence can do? I noticed you're slipping. And so I looked at the person. I said, what should this person have done? By the way, intentional choice of words by me. What should this person have done? Because that person had a clear expectation of what they wanted done differently. But the owner of the company doesn't know that. And you can sit there and listen to this show and argue with me about societal etiquette and and ways to be kind and respectful with people, but it's still an expectation. So what this person said is, she would have preferred the person said, I noticed you're slipping a little bit. Are you okay? Now, I would bet a lot of money that when I talk to that owner of the company and bring that to his attention, he's going to look at me and go, oh, I can do that. But he wasn't doing it. Why wasn't he doing it? Is it because he's a jerk and doesn't care? Maybe. Is he doing it because that's just not really his way and how he's learned to communicate his frustration? Maybe. But at the end of the day, a two-word, a four-word phrase can shift the entire communication to I'm not appreciated, I'm not recognized, I'm not, people don't understand what I'm going through, to are you okay? And by the way, he could still talk about her performance slipping. This and, is th- and it's, it's such a vast, vast difference. So this is the point, right? Accountability and empathy is by him changing, you need to do better or are you okay? You're not saying that your slipping performance is okay. You're not enabling it. You're just being human and you're using empathy to understand someone. So you can still, at some point in that conversation, talk about why the performance is slipping, what that person needs from their perspective, but it's just that slight change. You know, I'm, I'm tired of people talking about You know, body language is 93% of communication and actions speak louder than words. You know what? Body language may be 93% of communication, but you know something? Actions equal words. They're not louder. They equal because words and actions equal integrity. So when you tell me body language is 93% of communication, I say to myself, oh, I guess I don't have to worry about word choice, tone, and listening because that's only 7%. So I'm just going to throw that out the window. I don't like the message. I don't like the message that body language is 93% of communication. I like the message of detail-oriented communication. Be mindful of the words you use when you're trying to influence and motivate and empathize with people. Be mindful of the tone you use and be mindful of the body language you're modeling, interpreting the body language you're receiving and seeing, and listening actively and reflectively. That's 100% of communication. So let's not put so much of the onus on body language and let's have people committed to develop the core competencies of those four primary communication ingredients, which is what you say, word choice, how you say tone, body language, modeling, noticing, interpreting, responding to, and the many core competencies that go with listening. So that's it for today. Uh, If you want more information about how you can improve your communication skills as a leader, 
at any level of the organization, a team that you have, salespeople, overall development with your HR, let me know. The number is 978-793-1159. You can email info at mindsetgo.com. Jazz, thanks for all the great work you do. And uh, we'll see you next time. I'm Mark Altman for I Communicate. Have a wonderful week. You've been listening to I Communicate with your host, Mark Altman. Join us again each week at this time on Full Service Radio, WCRN.